Welcome to the Paleo View. I'm Stacey Toth, best-selling author and co-creator of PaleoParents.com, where we focus on real-life solutions for families seeking health. I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne, New York Times best-selling author and creator of ThePaleoMom.com. I'm passionate about improving scientific literacy around public health topics. I like hashtags and bone broth. And I'm just a super nerd. Welcome to the Paleo View, everybody, where this week we are live and in person. I know, and Stacey's making eye contact with me. You <laughs> so can awkward. already tell us she's feeling like, awkward. So awkward. Yeah. I'm just going to like stare at you this whole time. And we're t- it's like we're physically touching. You know how I feel about that. <laughs> um, I know. Aww. Another hug. <laughs> um, so for those of you who are listening, we actually did, we are doing this live on both Instagram and Facebook, uh, but we wanted to record it for those of you who listen to podcast platform um, to be informed of the questions. So we're going to take questions live and we've already got some rolling in. So first and foremost, I'm just going to kind of recap everybody. I just got back from the cruise this week. Um, we did a week in the Caribbean and... Um, I think I will probably do like a blog post on how to eat on a cruise because that's the question I've been getting most often is like, how do you navigate that? And it was pretty easy um, for the most part. I would say um, the first question that I got was, how's my back? Um, I did an excursion in Jamaica, which was our very first excursion. And they put these warnings on excursions. Like, if you have a bad back or if you're pregnant, don't do this. And I didn't listen to that. And so um, we hiked Dunn River Falls, which is like, you know, a waterfall with wet rocks. Um, not the best life choice for a bad back. And I had just fallen in the parking lot. I missed a speed bump and literally just like, (laughs) and so I think between the two, my back just gave out, um, about halfway through the falls. And so, um, the cruise was, was interesting with a bad back, but, um, it's the, it's the worst flare that I've had since I injured it, um, I think like two years ago. So, uh, but I've, like I've been able to function and we went to a science museum today, been able to walk around and stuff like that. So you were not dragging a limp leg behind no, you. No, I'm learning how to manage it and, um, to rest at certain points and do that kind of stuff. So I, my, my back is, is injured, but, um, still functional. So thanks for those who are asking. Um, Okay, so I think we're we're getting a lot of like food questions. Look at, look at all of the food have, for kids questions. Yes. You have three questions on Instagram. Um, you're gonna have to scroll up. So we've got this one. All right, so Cole has joined us, and um, the first question on Instagram: Can you really wash vitamin D off after being in the sun? Love you, ladies. What does that mean? So, if you so as you go outside, you um, basically are making vitamin D from cholesterol mm-hmm. in your skin, and the reaction is triggered by UVB radiation from the sun. And uh, there's this sort of myth that if you shower too soon after being out in the sun, that you will like basically lose vitamin D. She's live. No, (laughs) this is real life. Um, and 
I don't actually know if that's true or not. Like, I, I know what the question is asking. So the idea of like showering too soon after being inside, you won't make as much vitamin D in your skin. Yeah. I, that's what I would assume is not entirely because you've got to start to have made it when you were. Yeah. In I mean, sun. I can imagine that if you are, you know, it's like a, it's an energy driven reaction. So you think about how much energy water soaks up. You could kind of imagine that you are losing some of that energy mm-hmm. in, in water and it would inhibit it a little bit. Um, but I don't actually know the answer to that question. Stumped to Sarah. Um, I'm sure that we can we can Google it or something later. But Mommy, you have a question rolling in from the so-called Wesley. Mm-hmm. Can you please help Wesley find Daddy so that we can continue? Yeah. Okay. Right. Next one. University for Nutritional Science. How would you handle your professor promoting Weight Watchers and low fat? It looks like there's more text. Yeah. There that we can't read, but or maybe hey. that's just the microphone. So you treat him. Okay. Uh, so um, my recommendation, which is the recommendation that I, you know, have also heard from people who have gone through programs, uh, whether it's sort of a registered dietitian or, or nutrition, is uh, just bite your tongue. <laughs> it's not a battle worth fighting. Learn what you're supposed to know. Uh, pass your exams with flying colors and then actually educate yourself and wait until you've got that certification and then be assertive and tell people what's what. But, um, you I mean, know, you have to pass the tests. You have to pass the tests and being argumentative with the professor is not going to help you in school and you're going to be able to do so much more with that degree on the other side. So um, as hard as it is to know that what you're being taught is actually wrong, outdated, you know, not accurate. Um, at the end of the day, the professor's in charge and you don't want to fail. It's kind of what I tell my kids about learning the food, yeah. my, my food That's plate in school, right? I'm like, I know they're going to tell you that you need milk. We know that you don't need milk, but you need to answer the question. You yeah. need milk. So, okay. Um, some more from Facebook. Yes. Yeah, so we've got easy lunches to pack for school. Um, so my kids like the same thing every single day. Yeah, I know this was, um, this is like a running joke because my kids love the, we actually now get the Trader Joe's organic grass would be pop dogs because they're the cheapest and they're really good and they actually don't have nightshades. Nothing. Yeah. So that's also, I mean, I don't eat them still, but I could, um, my kids like those cold right out of the package. I know people think that's gross, but that's basically what bologna is in a different shape. Yeah. So if you just think about it, it's like bologna as a, as a tube <laughs> instead of a slice, it, then it's not so gross anymore. Um, but that's their like favorite thing. And then they have carrots, celery, cucumber, um, and typically some kind of fruit. So they sort of rotate between grapes and apples and oranges and berries. Um, and that's their like go-to, go-to lunch every single day. Um, on the weekends when we're home, we mix it up a little bit more. Um, but then it might be like canned fish. My, um, youngest daughter, Mira loved canned fish and would brought it to school like every single day through like kindergarten. And then I think she started getting teased and she she didn't want to bring canned fish, the the stinky lunches, the seaweed, the, the canned fish, that kind of stuff. She still likes seaweed if I pack seaweed in her lunch. Um, so I don't know if. She doesn't have the same association with that, but she was getting teased, I think, with canned fish. And, yeah. Um, 
And so now she has it on the weekend. My kids really like leftovers, especially if we do roasted chicken. So we always, if we do chicken legs or thighs, like triple the amount that we would eat so that they can take chicken legs. That's a lot of food. Right. Sarah's been been cooking for all of us this weekend. Both of our families, it's nine people and my boys are not shy with food. No, but and my so, girls eat a lot yeah, too now. Yeah. Like they, they, they have hefty appetites. Yeah. So we do like two whole family packs. We get the whole foods. Chicken is like mm-hmm. our favorite chicken. If we don't have it from the farm or something and they do like a legs, thigh combo family pack. And, um, we do two whole ones of those on two trays. Are like five or six pounds for yeah. one family pack. Yeah. That's a lot of chicken. But it'll, it means that the boys just grab a chicken leg or a thigh and put it in their lunches and all week long they do that, which is more affordable than the other options that they like, which well, are it's more affordable than hot dogs, lunch meats. Yeah. Like that's their, their other favorite. They really like roast beef and they'll roll different things up in roast beef, whether it's mustard or cheese or whatever, they'll just like roll it up. They don't need anything else with it. Um, they also like the meat becomes the, like tortilla. Yes, exactly. Yeah. You're putting stuff in the meat yes. instead of the meat in something else. Yes. And they also really like um, ham, which you can find like even at Costco now or Whole Foods, like different kinds of high quality um, ham and turkey. Those are the, the lunch meats of their choice. We've also done hard boiled eggs. It's been mm-hmm. a, a, that's a lunch that my kids still like from time to time. My kids don't really like hard boiled eggs. They like egg salad, but they um, they don't like hard boiled eggs. Adele's like breakfast kick right now is hard boiled eggs and a homemade waffle. Mm-hmm. So like that's her like her that's the thing she wants to eat every single day. Yeah. Mira's more she she is more of my meat eater. It's funny actually she she's the person who like we put the plate in front of her she will eat all the vegetables first and then the meat last. Um, but if you gave her the choice between a meat-based meal and like an egg-based meal, she would always pick the meat-based meal. The other things that we throw in the boys' lunches, they really like individual olives. I know that's weird. We get them on Amazon Prime. Um, and it's a great vegetable and a fat to throw into their lunch. And I try to always make sure that they have something like that, um, baby carrots or cut up. If you can like pre-cut up rainbow carrots for them, for me, for us, our boys all are responsible for packing their own lunches. Mm-hmm. So, um, we, we try to prepare things in advance so that in the mornings they can just like grab a handful of baby carrots or whatever it is they're going to do. Um, and I would say maybe once or twice a week we end up doing Wesley's forum cause he just like can't get himself together in time. But my boys are of an age now where they're almost entirely packing their own lunches. Um, And then for a carb, they either do like a fruit or we do plantain chips Mm -hmm. or um, avocado oil, like sweet potato or regular potato chips, something to kind of um, fill it out. And then they also grab um, a snack and their favorite snack are meat sticks. So they like Rome. um, What are the bacon ones that you like? Hold the pork ones. It's Rome sticks, chomps. Are those the two that you like? Yeah, those are the ones I like. We didn't get your voice on audio there. He he had nodded. Yeah. <laughs> note note for the record: Cole provided a head nod. <laughs> um, they cannot get enough of those Rome sticks. So the difference between Rome sticks and any other meat stick is that it's made out of bacon. It's made out of pork, and so it's bacon flavored, um, as opposed to most beef sticks, which are 
beef base. And have a more like a pepperoni-ish type yes. feel. Yeah. yeah. And so the, the reason we actually got them originally is because they're nightshade free. And there's one that's made with pineapple. So it has like a little bit of sugar, but I think it's like two grams or so something. My kids really like the Epic Snack Sticks. Mm. So they don't like, um, neither one of them like jerky-ish type things that are too chewy. Mm-hmm. And the Snack Sticks kind of cross the, they're not soft like the Epic Bars, mm-hmm. but they're not super chewy like jerky. Yeah. Um, and Adele loves the salmon ones. Like that's her total favorite. And Mira likes the turkey ones, which do have bell pepper in them, mm-hmm. but are otherwise, they're not spicy in any way. Um, that's a really common snack for them. And Mira has uh, taken to, uh, as, as I have the new Epic baked pork rinds, <laughs> we, are we are buying just having a debate about this at lunch oh, today. I just, they're so good. Um, and we have, since they came out a month ago, I think we've gone through four cases. <laughs> So I really like the original classic epic pork rinds that are fried, but I like the flavor of just the pink Himalayan sea salt ones of the new ones that are baked. I you love can the only baked get ones. I know she loves baked I know, ones. I really do. <laughs> They're I mean, mean you say tomato, I say tomato. It's fine. They're both good. <laughs> Enjoy them both. Um but yeah, the boys like those as well. We have a ton of those. And um they really like for breakfast actually pork the um Maple ones. Have you you've had those, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Those are really yeah. good for I breakfast. I I'm a person who I most of the time. There's I guess a few exceptions. I don't like sweet with salty. Mm. So um, That's not normal. I <laughs> so I'm more of like when it's when it's uh, something like that when it's got that little bit of a sugar to it. I don't enjoy it as much as if it's straight salt. I like the I like that one because it's not super sugary. It doesn't have a lot of like grams of sugar but yeah. it is a little sweet you know it's it's not it's like a it's a maple oh, it doesn't flavor. really have very many carb grams in it at no all. i think it's like one or two yeah it's yeah. not um but it does have that little yeah little bit of a sweet flavor those are my favorite okay we've answered that i know people have asked me about eating paleo especially with kids on the cruise and i'm just gonna do kind of a dedicated thing because i feel like that would be too lengthy to get into you know uh, well i show? think it would be a really good like resource for people because yeah. I think cruise vacations is a thing that lots of people yeah. do. And especially in our community, a lot of people worry about how they're going to navigate that. Yeah. You're like trapped on a boat. Yeah. I totally. assume that's what it is. You're just like yeah. in a cell yeah. in a boat. Definitely. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. that's right. A nine by nine box. That's yeah. what I, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's my no entire options. impression of yeah. what cruises are like. Please okay. don't educate me. So I will do a dedicated resource. I will, just really quick. The thing about it is, is you, when you sign up for a cruise, you have the option to say if you have any food intolerances, if you're going on most cruise lines. So for me in particular, um, what I signed up for when we registered is I established the whole family, all five of us, cause we were in two separate rooms as gluten, um, I don't remember if it was like gluten sensitive or whatever, you know, I just checked the box. Like we don't eat gluten. And then I also put a note about nightshades and corn for myself. And so when you go to cruise dining, you have usually three options. One, it's an open buffet and you have no hope there. Don't go just like nobody will be able to tell you anything about the food that you're eating at the buffet. It's, it's a people, nightmare. People said the hot dogs and burgers were good. The first day on the ship was difficult. And, you know, we had been standing in line for like three hours and it was this whole big thing. And so it was like, oh, we'll just go to the buffet and we'll get bunless burgers and we'll get hot dogs. And we got, you know, scrambled eggs and sausage or, you know, whatever it was, things that would should be totally safe. Yeah. Um, and 
I totally got glutened. Like I could tell that I was glutened immediately. And so the next day when we were at the other two options that you have are both sit down dining. One is it's, um, what they call like free dining, which you just go in and you sit down and you give them your room number. And if you're registered for a special diet, then the, the special diet comes up when you give them their, your room number and they'll tell you what your options are. The other option is like you can upgrade your meal by going to like um, one of a couple of restaurants on most cruise ships that are more high end. But I'll tell you, it's not even worth the money. Like we we did a package where we got a couple of those meals um, and it wasn't it wasn't even worth like what it would have cost to do that because the open dining is really nice good food and they took such good care of us like they knew who we were when we came in and they knew what our um limitations were and they would give us the menu for the following breakfast and the following dinner and we would pre-order so the next day when we came in like our food was already kind of pre-prepped and dinner was more quick than it was for other people and that kind of stuff so um we gave the person the special diet person a nice tip at the end of the cruise i'd recommend that you do that if you get you know taken care of by someone but whatever your issues are like we we were with someone who had a severe egg allergy for her son and that was taken care of so whatever the restrictions are you can totally work it if you plan and you tell people and that kind of stuff so we will do a resource with kind of recapping those instructions and different things like that but this is my third cruise ship, all three different lines, and all of them work the same way. Um, and I didn't have issues, except when I ate at the buffet, so just don't do that. This is also where I, like, if I get asked a question about eating a special diet and traveling, where I always sort of remind people that it's a lot easier to do this type of thing once you've played with reintroductions and mm-hmm. you have a really good sense of where your lines are that you can't cross, right? So you know you're fine with dairy and you're fine with rice. Like you can do some gluten-free grains. Yep. Like you you figured out through trial and error, here's the things I absolutely can't do mm-hmm. and here's the things that I can get away with on a vacation or once in a while for a treat. And that once you're like that at that point yes. in your sort of health journey, yeah. um, navigating restaurants and parties and social situations and travel and whatever, all of those things become much easier just because you know, you know, the lines that you can cross and, and the lines that you really need to stay on your side. I think that it could be done AIP, honestly, with Mm -hmm. the amount of meat and fish with the exception of fats. And that's the one thing that I tell people is like, you know, if you're past 30 days of AIP and you want to stick to everything, you're not ready to reintroduce. I think if you're able to let go of like the, the fats being not a hundred percent. And some, you know. some people are differently sensitive to that. Yeah. Like some people yeah. really have a hard time with yeah. canola oil and, and some people, you know, can, and I, I think it. that would be, I, I don't, no, personally, but I, I think that that would probably be more difficult to navigate just, yeah. you know, from the way they're cooking things back there. So, all right, what's next? All right. Uh, I know you both have hashies. What are the top two things that you've implemented that have made the biggest difference in how you feel with thyroid disease? Wow. I like that question. That's a biggie. So, um, I mean, it goes without saying that diet is number one. So I'm, I'm not going to include that as top two because I just feel like that goes without saying. Um, so the other two for me were definitely learning to manage my stress. And that's such like a nebulous thing. Um, but there's such a strong link between stress and thyroid function. Like it's so crazy. It, 
And I had, it took me over a year to like figure this out. Like I know, oh, I manage my stress. Like, no, I had to literally change the way we ran the blog. I had to let go of the team. I had to like not do books anymore. I, I literally had to change my life and the way that I was functioning in order to reduce my stress from that capacity. And I had to also really start to focus on thinking positively and starting to like find the good in things and embrace and, and not try to get bogged down in the negative all the time. Like those were really big for me from an outlook perspective, um, for my overall kind of health and well-being, And I started that process when you were writing the paleo approach. Cause I remember you introducing yeah. the idea of how important that was. And you saying I needed to meditate. And I was like, I am not going to meditate, but I was like, use an app like call. And I laughed. I mean, <laughs> and I don't, I, I'm not the kind of person that can do that, but I did find ways in my own life to, yeah. to manage stress. Um, I'm not, I'm not very good about sleep. I know that that's going to be one of the things that you say. So, um, I don't know. I guess I'll stick with, I'll stick with food and stress. I think the the other part of the food coin. Okay. So here's what I'll say about food. It's not just about what you take out. It's what you put in. So, um, the, the nutrient dense foods that you need are so important, not just the foods that you take out of your diet. So, for me, um, adding things like collagen and broth and seafood and more vegetables um, and organ meats when I can. <laughs> um, I take I take liver pills every day because I don't get enough organ meat in my regular diet. Those foods, I have to really focus on making sure that I'm introducing them to my diet to feel my best. So, um, yeah, I sort of feel like autoimmune protocol diet and lifestyle is like a given here. So, like... <laughs> Besides all of the things that that encompasses, um, taking thyroid hormone replacement has been really, really great for me. Um, and I, you know, I know that there's this, um, desire when people first find the autoimmune protocol and they realize that they can really, you know, stop the immune attacks on their own bodies. And there's this idea that, you know, I can, you know, stop being on medication. I can get rid of this. This can no longer be a part of my life. Um, but the problem is, is if you think about cutting yourself and there's a scar, right? Your skin's not the same after a deep cut and autoimmune disease can be very much the same, but it's internal. So you don't see the scar and an autoimmune disease that attacks an endocrine organ. It's fairly unusual to be able to regain full function of that organ afterwards. Um, you know, especially for me, I probably had hashies for upwards of 30 years before I was diagnosed. And even though my numbers were never really off, you know, they weren't crazy off. I was only a little bit low. It's taken nearly full replacement level um, doses of thyroid hormone to get me to just nudge into the normal range. I take a really, really high dose and it's been uh, four years of playing with thyroid hormone doses and formulas to get get to a place where I'm feeling really good. So I think that um, not being afraid of that, not seeing it as failure, not um, not seeing it as a substitute for all of the diet and lifestyle stuff, but not feeling like um, you're somehow not AIPing hard enough if you have to take a medication. Um, I think that that's a really important thing to kind of wrap our heads around, that um, supporting an organ that has been damaged from being attacked by the immune system is okay. And so taking um, thyroid hormone replacement has been one of the best things for me. And thyroid hormone also actually 
uh, influences immune function. So there's this piece for people with Hashis where uh, supplementing with thyroid hormone and getting their numbers more in range can actually help you get more sort of bang for your buck out of the AIP because it's actually helping to make your immune system a little bit more easy to regulate. So there's that whole side of it. Um, and then I would say, um, that's probably the biggest, I would, I would probably like more generally say working with a functional medicine practitioner to dial things in. Um, stress is also my biggest challenge. Um, I sometimes get asked in the autoimmune protocol lecture series, like, you know, wh why do you, why do you do these, these things? Cause I'm very open with like this is the medication I'm taking, I'm taking the supplement, like, here's what this is. This is, I've tried this, right? A lot of like, here's this great thing. I've tried it, you know, and here's why it, it works. And here's the science behind it. And I'll often get asked, like, do you, do you, why do you think you still need that? Like one of the questions I was asked actually this week in the course was, um, I, I started taking low dose naltrexone, um, almost two years ago because I wasn't able to get my C-reactive protein all the way to zero. I was able to come down substantially on the autoimmune protocol, but there was still, I could get it down to about 2.4 and I couldn't get it all the way down. So I went on low dose naltrexone, uh, supervised by my functional medicine specialist and it did get my CRP down to zero. And so the question was like, why do you think AIP wasn't enough? And I was like, stress, <laughs> like look at all the things I'm doing. And it's always my, I'm really good at saying no to other people's projects and I'm terrible at saying no to mine. Like I just come up with all these ideas and I want to do everything all at once all the time. So I think that sort of given that I have accepted this aspect of uh, healthy living that I, I've just decided I, I'm just not going to be able to do this right. Like I, I would have to quit everything that I was doing to actually be able to, to fully manage my autoimmune disease with just the autoimmune protocol because of that stress piece. And I'm not ready to do that. I, I have more books I want to write. I have more resources I want to create. Like I feel like what I'm doing is really important. Yeah. So I would say generally working with a functional medicine specialist to be able to compensate for some of those choices and be able to dial things in and dig deeper. There's things that I've been able to do with my functional medicine specialist that I never would have been able to do by myself. I think it's interesting when people ask that question. Um, and I've been doing this almost eight years. And for me, when I think about how I felt or how I would feel if I wasn't doing the lifestyle aspects, um, I think it's hard for me to remember how bad it was. What's interesting is when I got glutened um, a couple of months ago, and not just like a little bit of gluten, like on the cruise oh, from yeah. cross-contamination or whatever, like when I went through the process of actually consuming a substantial quantity of gluten and having an anaphylactic reaction and that whole thing, um, I mean, I was bedridden with joint pain. Like it was, and not from a back injury, just like, oh my gosh, I would have like early onset arthritis. I would have um, incredible headaches and brain fog and all of these things that were happening to me. And I think, you know, when you consider what, you know, why isn't AIP enough or why isn't paleo enough? Why do all these other things? Like, well, think about how, what it is taking care of, you know what I right. mean? Like yeah. all of the inflammation and the problems that it is taking care of, like instead of focusing on, but it didn't get me a hundred percent of the way. It only got me 90% of the way. Like how about thinking it got me 90% right. of the way? Like that's amazing. So, okay. All right. Cool. Any other questions on Instagram? We're going to keep going on Facebook. Not really. Okay. 
Uh, what are your tips for someone starting due to an autoimmune disease? Um, so we said we were going to do this rapid fire and we haven't really been doing no. rapid fire. So, uh, what are my tips for someone who's just starting? Let's, let's assume somebody who's, um, let's assume somebody who's just new to the idea of diet and lifestyle changes for autoimmune disease all the way back there. Not someone paleo needing to do AIP, but somebody who's like, Oh, food can help. Let me learn more. Yeah. So I would say check out our book. Um, real life paleo. That's what I would say. Um, for me, baby steps worked and we outline how to do that. And it goes from, you know, you can make it one week, you can make it one month, you can make it one year, like whatever the pacing is for you. But I just think that for most people that do it all at once, it ends up not being sustainable. It ends up being overwhelming. I know you're a little bit different. You jumped in all at once, but I think, you know, I hear from so many people that it's seen as kind of a short-term solution or it becomes so hard and unmanageable that they give up and they don't do it all the way. And so I think it's a matter of prioritizing in whatever aspect you need to, like, what are your goals? What are you trying to accomplish? And what are the things that you're committed to doing for yourself? And it's really important in my opinion to say, um, that you're doing this for you and to think of it as like a positive approach to loving yourself, respecting yourself and getting to where you want to be because that thought process is so much more impactful in my opinion than saying, oh, I have to do this because of this terrible thing that I have. And if you approach it that way, then it becomes such a burden and such a negative um, frustration that it's more difficult to want to do it. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I generally recommend that people there's a, with autoimmune disease, there's always this extra caveat of sometimes people are so sick mm. that the illness sort of robs them of that gradual transition option. But I generally recommend people transition in whatever way they've been successful making change before in the past. So if they're really great at making a new year's resolution and sticking to it for the full year, then they're people who can just jump in. If they're people who uh, buy that gym pass January 1st, and it's already gathering dust by January 20th, Maybe gradual baby steps. Um, I mean, my number one recommendation is to educate yourself. So work on, um, you know, starting to learn the whys behind a lot of this stuff. Um, I'm a person who understanding why a food is going to help my body heal versus why another food is going to actually, you know, activate my immune system more. I find that understanding that actually helps me make better choices and, and be more consistent in what I do. Um, but there's a lot to learn with the autoimmune protocol. So, if, you know, like it doesn't need to be all at once. You can, you can gradually increase your learning. I've got tons of free resources on my website and I've got lots of great, you know, three of my books are autoimmune protocol books. And I have this course that's designed for that sort of more um, deep dive into the, the whys behind it. But you, you can sort of gradually work on that. Um, and you can, you can take, you know, gluten-free as a step. You can take paleo as a step, you can, right? You can, you can do this iteratively. Um, the other thing that I would recommend is focusing on what you do get to eat rather than what you will miss. Um, that's really important just from a mindset perspective. And so one of the things I always like to do when people are like struggling to stick with paleo or the autoimmune protocol is like, what meal do you already eat that is either already AIP or, or paleo, whichever we're, we're working towards, or that could be very easily with a really simple swap. So do you like roast chicken? Yes. It's like super easy. Steak. 
Do you like steak? Eggs and bacon. Well, not for AFP, but... But bacon. Um, Do you like uh, roasted vegetables? (laughs) Right? Do you like uh, a salad? I mean, with AFP, you're saying that salad can't have tomatoes. But, like, other than that, do you, you know... If a meal was made of those things, would you enjoy that meal? Yes. And there's usually several meals that people have already in their normal rotation that is either really close, it's just swapping out for a better quality salad dressing, or it's using um, coconut aminos instead of soy sauce. Like it's a simple, simple little switch. So look at those meals that you already consume on a regular basis that are, are already compliant and make more of your meals look like that and sort of let let the good foods that you get to eat that are really good healing foods, let those just kind of displace the other stuff. So focus on just eating more of the good stuff rather than super honing in on eliminations, at least at first, right? Like with AIP, eliminations become a really important step, Um, but it doesn't have to be the first step. And then the last tip I have is to focus on sleep because when you're getting enough sleep, your hunger's regulated, you're not having cravings, you're more motivated to move, your stress is better regulated. So your body's gonna respond better to big changes in diet. So there's some gastrointestinal, some digestive shift that can happen with big changes in diet. And there's also some metabolism shifts that can happen. If you're getting enough sleep, those will be easier. And it'll just be easier to eat different food and to not eat food that you love and miss. So getting enough sleep is really, it really helps support the um, choice aspect of sticking to it. And I would say prepare everything in your house, whether it's paleo or autoimmune, like don't have things that are going to tempt you. Um, if, if you're talking about tips, like just, you know, even if it's like jerky with paprika, if you're trying to go AIP, like there's so many different things that you need to look into, like just set yourself up for success with putting everything in your home that will help you succeed. I do. You have a question on Instagram saying, would taking thyroid replacement at night to mimic the the circadian rhythm of a normally functioning thyroid be an option we We should consider? You did a good job reading the question. Um, I am going to read it. (laughs) <laughs> I'm so glad 12 year old <laughs> actually it better alright I'm going to try that one again uh, actually it would better mimic circadian rhythm to take thyroid first thing in the morning which is why that's the typical recommendation the other thing about thyroid hormone is that it is almost everything interferes with its absorption so you really need to take it on an empty stomach Uh, with a little bit of water, not a ton of water, and not have anything, not even black coffee for like an hour afterwards so you can absorb as much of it as possible. And most people do not have an empty enough stomach in the evening to be able to absorb thyroid hormone very efficiently. So it actually, you know, think of it, thyroid hormone regulates metabolism. Your metabolism increases during the day when you're active. So it is um, much more, um, uh, it's much more aligned with our circadian rhythms to take it first thing in the morning. You're going to take that question then? Yeah. That one can be a rapid fire. Okay. View on zero carb meat only diet. You need vegetables. Vegetables are really important. We actually did a whole podcast (laughs) on why vegetables are really important, especially if you're eating a lot of meat. So check that out. Yeah. Um, You know, we actually tackled that question, not necessarily from the meat only side, although we had sort of questions in our queue about that, um, but from the... How, how really important are vegetables side and 
they're abs absolutely critical for, for health. Um, you are missing not only vital nutrients and the meat only diet. Um, even if you're eating things like adrenal glands for the vitamin C, um, there's phytochemicals are something we can only get from plants. That's what phyto means plant. Um, and even though they aren't necessarily like you will die if you don't have them, we know they're critical for health. They're antioxidant, they're anti-cancer, they're cardioprotective. Even if you're eating grass fed, like yeah. don't convince yourself that that's the argument. Well, and the other issue is the fiber. So these very low carb diets, uh, meat only diets, I would say those ketogenic diets, if they don't provide enough fiber to support a healthy and diverse gut microbiome. And we know now from studies that the loss of diversity in gut bacteria over uh, several weeks of following these very low carbohydrate diets is irreversible. So it's similar to antibiotics in the sense that you lose biodiversity in your gut microbiome and you can't get it back. So I am very, very adamant that meat only diets is a bad, bad idea. More questions? Do you have another rapid fire question? Yeah. Um, thoughts on fasting? So I personally did fasting for quite a while and you did intermittent fasting. Yes, I Let's did. Let's differentiate but yes. because um, water fasting and long-term fasting is yes. gaining a little bit more traction in our community, so let's make sure to differentiate. Yes. No, I did not do fasting fasting. Um, I did intermittent fasting. And for me, what I learned after doing it for a few months and really having detrimental health results is that without a gallbladder, um, which means... That's how my body accumulates bile. Like I'm talking with my hands. People can see it. Um, my I just, body accumulates. I just realized that my arm looks really good in your Instagram. And I'm like solely distracted by my arm. It really does. It's, look at how um, like tone that is. Yeah. I'm really, really pleased with my arm right now. <laughs> um, anyway, so the, the, the bile is not being accumulated in the gallbladder in order to help digest the big meal that you eat like basically once or twice a day when you intermittent fast. So for me... Um, I know I have a lot of people that don't have gallbladders. Like, it's, it's not a good solution for you, in my opinion. Um, I'll let you take it from, from a different perspective. <laughs> All right. Um, so the rationale behind intermittent fasting is that it stimulates autophagy, which is like a spring cleanup in your cells. And it does do that. Um, but I think it's really important to emphasize that it's not the only thing that stimulates autophagy. So we stimulate autophagy just by getting enough sleep. We stimulate autophagy by exercising. Um, so we don't need to intermittent fast in order to have the spring cleanup in our cells. Um, that being said, I mean, we should not be eating while we're asleep. Like that's, if you're eating while you're sleeping, it's a problem. Don't, wait, Cole, do you do that? <laughs> Cole, Cole looked a little guilty right there. Um, no, so we shouldn't, we shouldn't be eating while we're asleep, right? Our, our body has other priorities other than digesting food. And we know from the research that eating before bed, again, it sort of revs up our metabolism and erodes our sleep quality. And so ideally we would have our last meal of the day four to five hours before we go to bed at night. That's sort of optimal for sleep quality. So if you actually sleep, eight hours and you don't eat for four hours before you go to bed, there's 12 hours right there. And that is enough to start to get some of those autophagy benefits. So, you know, this whole idea of intermittent fasting and having these sort of truncated uh, windows of time in which we actually get our meals, it, it's sort of driving that to a point that's not necessary for most people. Um, and the, the other sort of aspect of this is if you have any kind of stress and, you know, if your stress axis is not working right, which is like most people, um, it can really backfire. So 
Um, you really only get the, the benefits of intermittent fasting when you're a very healthy person who's active with well-managed stress. And really mostly if you're just male, like females generally are not going to respond the same way to it. So, um, so I just sort of recommend this more gentle version of like, don't eat for a few hours before bed and get enough sleep. Don't feel like you have to rush to eat breakfast in the morning. If you work out in the morning, feel free to eat afterwards. You don't have to cram breakfast in before you work out. Um, and, and like, that's a really gentle way to do it. That's not going to stimulate a stress response. I would say too, like for most people, if you're moving to a real foods based diet and you're not eating a lot of refined carbohydrates, you might find that you just skip some meals sometimes because you're not hungry and your body is just sustaining itself. And that's total. I mean, to me, that's kind of the rhythm that you want to be in with your body is like, you know, knowing what you need when you need. And I think for some people for intermittent fasting, what I've found for myself and what I've heard from other people is that it can work really well in the beginning. And then you kind of overeat during the certain meals. And so you're not really getting the benefits that you might be wanting out of it anyway. So, um, after you've been doing it a while, you know, I, I, if you feel really strongly about it, just make sure that you're watching your hormones and that kind of thing and not creating more of an issue. I saw a really interesting talk at a conference a few years ago about how the body responds to stochastic signals. So basically randomness. Mm -hmm. And it was really about the benefits of having the occasional day where you don't eat or having the occasional day where you have very low carb or having the occasional day where you go for a 12 mile hike when that's an unusual activity for you and very much sort of mixing it up, which of course is like the CrossFit philosophy philosophy, right? You never adjust to anything because you do something different every time you go to the gym. And it was a really interesting talk about how, uh, this can actually, you know, stimulate some sort of hermetic, it's sort of adaptations in the body and potentially improve longevity. Um, so I think there's a little bit to be said for having some random signals. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, there's certain things that we know are circadian rhythm entrenchers. So they're going to really, really help the body prioritize functions. So we know that, uh, you know, being outside like light and dark are really important. So there's some things that you don't want. You don't want to be like randomly turning on a spotlight in your bedroom at midnight. That would not be a good stochastic process. Um, Sarah, tell us a joke. All right. Why did the pig's kitchen smell so good? Because she was bacon. (laughs) So let me just tell you how many jokes I've had to hear (laughs) while I'm here. (laughs) Have you had read that one yet? No. All right. So mushroom walks into a bar and the bartender says, we don't serve your kind here. And the mushroom says, why not? I'm a fun guy. Okay, we're moving on. <laughs> More questions. <laughs> you said tell me a joke. Coming over here on Instagram. Um, oh, this was a follow-up, so I'd have to find the first I think I think we really, question. like, answered it. All right. Um, uh, please explain the benefits of finding out if you have MTHFR, if you have Graves' disease. Um, there's actually a benefit to finding out if you have MTHFR gene variants that will affect the function of that enzyme. If you have autoimmune disease or autoimmune disease in your family, we know that it's a risk uh, gene for autoimmune disease. And it basically impacts a variety of systems. So it impacts liver detoxification, 
it impacts neurotransmitter regulation and impacts the stress axes because these all have enzymes that are turned on or off through methylation. And methylation is also a really important process in phase two liver detoxification. And uh, finding out if you have that, there are supplements that you can take um, to help support those systems. So again, it's sort of like work with a functional medicine specialist, depending on which mutations you have, depending on some of the function of other related enzymes, different uh, methylated B vitamins are recommended or contraindicated. So getting into those nitty gritty details with a functional medicine specialist is really helpful, but it, it, it really is a good one to know because it, there is supplements to help support the system. And because when you're not methylating properly, it really does impact how your body responds to diet and lifestyle choices. And it really will hold you back from healing if you, if you have those um, alleles, unfortunately. That was rapid fire. I yeah, was really proud of that. All right, we're getting, we're warming up now. Uh, what do you guys think about keto? I think I just answered that. Didn't Especially that? that person in particular said they didn't have a gallbladder. And so I just, I think, you know, to emphasize, it's really, you can't do high fat if you don't have a gallbladder because you don't have the necessary components in your body to break down the fat of the individual meals that you'll be eating. So I, I think keto is an inherently nutrition deficient approach and the science does not bear out either its efficacy or its safety. Um, so I only... Um, would advocate keto for somebody with neurodegenerative disease who has tried other options first. Um, and that's really in the science, the only thing that we see is consistently helped by keto uh, as a weight loss approach. It has been debunked in the scientific literature. It provides no metabolic advantage over uh, a you know moderate carb, moderate fat, moderate protein approach. Um, and it can actually make you more insulin resistant and leptin resistant. It can, um, really mess up. It can cause, cause really messed up, um, impacts on sex hormones. Women tend to lose their periods on it. So most women are not actually doing keto to become infertile. Weirdly, it's not, it's just like a side benefit. Oh, by the way, you're infertile now. Um, and it doesn't support gut health. It doesn't provide enough fiber to support gut health. Um, so, uh, I don't. I don't recommend it at all, pretty much, other than for this one small group of people for whom the science is pretty strong. And I think what's interesting to me is the definition of keto is a little bit different for everybody. I mean, true, true. keto does not take into consideration net carbs. It doesn't take into consideration fiber offsets. Like when you look at the way Atkins was, for mm -hmm. example, Atkins said basically anything that you were eating that was uh, carbohydrate based in fiber didn't count towards your carbohydrates. And so if you're doing true keto, that's not, that's not the definition. So I think, you know, when people say, but I'm doing keto and it works for me, but I'm, you know, not counting vegetable carbohydrate, well, like, great. That you're great. You're probably eating a healthy diet. <laughs> exactly. Like that's paleo. So I, I just wanted to kind of normalize that. Cause I think a lot of people use the word keto to represent low carb and that's not what it means. A ketogenic diet is different than that. It's an incredibly high fat, moderate protein, no carb diet. Um, and one of the other things to sort of, um, emphasize here is, 
Um, a flexible metabolism is one that will use whatever fuel is there. So after a meal, it will use sugar because you will have consumed some carbohydrates with your meal. Between meals, a flexible metabolism will use fat for energy and it'll switch back and forth really, really easily. It is completely normal to be in ketosis when you wake up in the morning. So I've had my blood drawn first thing in the morning and there's ketones in my blood because I haven't eaten since dinner the night before. I'm fasted now. It is perfectly normal. It's a sign of a healthy metabolism to be in ketosis in the morning. So we actually do kind of dip in and out. Um, the difference is sustained ketosis um, really, um, it, it, it creates a very rigid metabolism in the same, or sort of like in an almost opposite way to how ha having diabetes is a very rigid metabolism. We just don't have a name for it because you have to try really hard to be in a ketogenic diet, whereas you just have to eat delicious sugar to make yourself diabetic. <laughs> a lot of delicious sugar, like on a regular basis. But, um, but a flexible metabolism is one that, that uses whatever fuel is there. And the way you achieve a flexible metabolism is by getting enough sleep, by being active, by eating moderate carb, moderate fat, moderate protein, and having distinct meals. So getting away from grazing, but having a meal and having some space in between. Um, that's really, really important for giving our bodies the opportunity to get into that fat burning stage between meals. Okay, keep going. All right. I kind of have a feeling there's like 50 more questions here. Yeah. Um, I think we've, we've talked about... Ooh. Uh, healthy pregnancy with hashies. Definitely make sure your hormone, thyroid hormone is dialed in and be very, very closely monitored. So make sure you're working with an obstetrician who will do a lot of blood testing because being pregnant messes around with your thyroid hormones. You don't want to be all of a sudden hyper, but you don't want to be hypo. Um, both of those things increase uh, risk of bad things happening during pregnancy. So, um, you know, major tips, be very, very closely monitored, have very open conversations with your uh, healthcare providers. That's the number one, number one tip. And then like the normal stuff, like nutrient density, get enough rest, relax. And I would say too, um, one of the other things that just remind people of with pregnancy is the standard recommendations for, uh, pregnancy supplements like folate instead of mm -hmm. folic acid and different things like that. Like make sure that you're aware of the nutrients that you're eating and the density of them and consider that when you're being told by someone who might not be thinking full picture to take certain supplements yeah. and the effects that some of that stuff has is not necessarily what you might want. So I'm not a medical professional, but I know for me, even when I was pregnant, um, with Wesley and I wasn't like nearly as well, I wasn't really educated at all. I did know the difference between folate and folic acid and ended up going on kind of, uh, you know, cocktail of different things that um was more specific than like a general pregnancy pill and i don't know if it's better now than it was eight years ago but folic um, acid is still in a lot of the pregnancy multivitamins and uh, especially if you have mthfr you don't want to take exactly acid yeah um so there's actually in paleo principles there's a whole section on nutrition during pregnancy and lactation as well as a whole page on like what's the difference between folic acid and folate and who should not take folic acid. So the short form is folic acid is better absorbed than folate, but it's a multi-step process in the body to convert it into L-methylfolate, which is the active form of folate. 
Um, whereas the folate we get from food is typically fewer steps, including there's some already L-methylfolate in our food. And so even though it's not quite as easily absorbed, it's more bioavailable. So it's more, it's fewer steps for our body to convert it into the active form. And the, um, Rate-limiting enzyme that's responsible for that final step into L-methylfolate, methyl, is MTHFR. So um, if you have an MTHFR variant that's inhibiting function, you're not going to convert folic acid into L-methylfolate very well, and having high folic acid in the blood increases risk of cancer. So that's why it's really, really bad for people with MTHFR gene variants to take folic acid. Okay, keep going. Whew. Uh, what happened to my YouTube show? Life. Yeah, life, money, nobody wanted it. Uh, they wanted it. That's <laughs> I mean, they wanted it. It's expensive. Someone asked for you to smile. <laughs> oh, it's hard. See, we normally do this, like, in our pajamas. Yeah, and honestly, like, it's pretty late, and I had a long day. My back is starting to, like, not feel so great after sitting in the chair. So that's, that's why I'm not smiling. Um, we have... Um, how do you absorb fats after getting your gallbladder out? So you have sort of dietary choices that you use mm-hmm. to manage yours. Yeah. Um, the other option is to take ox bile or bile salt. Well, and I started that way. I, yeah. I did it for not right after my gallbladder was removed because it took me years to figure out what was going on, but I did take multiple supplements, both, both HCL and ox bile, um, for probably about two years total, 18 months, I started weaning myself off when I started learning how to eat and what my body wanted and how to properly absorb what I was eating and all that kind of stuff. So, um, some people take them their whole lives and there's nothing wrong with that. Like you don't have a gallbladder to make that anymore. Like there's no issue just like with taking thyroid medication to take a bile supplement. For me, it was just a pain in the butt to always have it, and um, I wanted to not have to spend the money and time and all that kind of stuff. So oh, that's my gym owner. Hi, Jake. Hi. Uh, Jake joined like 40 minutes ago. I know. Sure. He's probably totally not on now. Yeah. He's probably like, oh, whatever Sarah's yeah. doing. I'm working out in the morning, Jake. That's what I'm doing. Um, what do you think about extremely high doses of probiotics for IBD UC? Uh, so a trillion a day with... with yeah, I mean, actually, um, Visbiome uh, uh, v- VSL, VSL3, also their doses now in the three, four trillion a day range. Um, I was at a conference last weekend in Chicago, and one of the other speakers said it really well. He said, it's like taking, it's like a monocrop. But your gut microbiome, which I thought was really a really interesting way of looking at these high dose um, supplements because a normal, healthy, robust gut microbiome would have like 500 to 1500 different species of microorganisms in it. Um, and when you take most of these, um, supplements, um, probiotic supplements, they might have eight or nine species. So even in the billions range, you're, you're really hammering one species pretty hard. That being said, when you have something that wipes out, you know, like ulcerative colitis or, um, you know, uh, there's other C. difficile, you know, there's lots of other sort of infectious things that are wiping out your microbiome. You have undergrowth because nothing is staying in your digestive system for very long. Um, at some point, you sort of need that high dose to be able to 
stimulate the environment to be because uh, the what the bacteria do is as they're fermenting they actually create a more acidic environment which supports the growth of more different kinds of species so you're almost like you're trying to get that environment started so that you can get more growing so i don't think they're a supplement for all the food things like eating lots of vegetables with uc if you know it's flaring you probably want cooked or pureed vegetables like smoothies and soups but eating a lot of vegetables and seafood is really important for a healthy gut microbiome. Eating fermented foods to seed with more diversity. Um, but there is, you know, some really good science supporting these high-dose uh, probiotic supplements for these, you know, situations where there's just no growth of bacteria in the gut. So you can't get that gut environment started. It's almost like just trying to get over the hump to be able to to have a gut environment that's going to be conducive to growing that kind of variety of wonderful little bacteria pets. I didn't even know that it was a thing that you could run out of time on Instagram Live. Whoa, you can? You got, Guess that means got we've podcasted seconds. enough. Bye, Instagram. I mean, do we want to quickly do an Instagram question here? I don't know what um, Stratagene by Ben Lucas. I think we should um, read that one. You both look amazing after a long day. Laura, Laura's very generous. She's my favorite person right now. <laughs> so, um, those of you on Instagram, thanks for tuning in. Um, we'll probably wrap up over on Sarah's Facebook page, and you can listen to the whole podcast on the Paleo With all the stupid things edited out, right? Let's hope. Um, on um, <laughs> on the Paleo View this coming Friday and probably next Friday we'll probably this will probably be a two episode we've been yeah. doing this for a while this will probably be a two episode but thank you so much for all of you who hung in and asked questions on Instagram oh, and Laura gave us hearts yes because Laura's the best <laughs> bye bye Instagram hi Facebook <laughs> I don't think I think Facebook's gonna do this for like the next seven or eight hours um. Ah, uh, so I'm still here too. Oh, <laughs> Cole, come come photobomb properly. It's my Coley. This is Cole. Cole's been like the big mature twelve year old. He went and got out. some charging bricks for us, yeah. doing all kinds of stuff behind the scenes. Uh, I switch over to Facebook. I I think we're doing all right, buddy. Yeah. So, uh, this one. After reintroducing, I've become severely allergic to oranges. Any idea after? Um, why after 46 years this allergy would all of a sudden show up. Um, so the, the reason why elimination and challenge diets are so effective, which is what the autoimmune protocol is, is because they exaggerate reactions that are already there and allow it to be more easily identified. So what happens when you cut out a food that you're having a food allergy sensitivity intolerance to out of your diet for a while um, the body sort of has these like protective mechanisms to restrain the reaction. And sometimes those protective mechanisms will be strong enough to restrain the reaction to the point where you feel crummy. And there's obviously a reason why you went on an elimination diet like paleo or the autoimmune protocol in the first place. Um, but, but it, it sort of, it keeps the system sort of dialed in so that it won't get so crazy out of control when you eliminate that, those protective mechanisms go away. So then when you challenge the food and you eat it again, there's nothing holding that reaction in. So the reaction becomes much more magnified. Um, and that, that's why these diets work. That's why they're still the gold standard for uh, allergists to identify allergies. 
Um, we've talked on the show relatively recently about how allergy tests all have substantial false negative and false positive rates no matter what allergy test you do or food intolerance test. So at the end of the day, that's why these diets uh, work so well because they help you identify an allergy that was there all along. It didn't make the allergy. It can feel that way at times, but it's really unmasks a reaction that was there the whole time. It's a good explanation. Thanks, man. I'm Even though I was one. distracted by multiple things. Um, I assume that was something we something said probably said. like 45 minutes yeah. ago. Um, do all women have rising TSH levels during pregnancy or just those with hypothyroidism? Actually, all women do. Um, it's just that in a normal system, you've got this feedback with the pituitary gland. So uh, the pituitary gland will then go like, oh, we don't, you know, it, it's a negative feedback loop. So... Uh, as you produce more, the pituitary gland produces TSH. TSH stimulates the release of thyroid hormone from the thyroid. The thyroid tells the, the pituitary gland that's enough TSH. Everything gets dialed up a bit during pregnancy, but those feedback loops are still working. Um, if you have Hashimoto's thyroiditis or Graves' disease, uh, those that communication, that cycle is uh, broken. So she followed up by asking oh, yeah. um, if there's... Uh, also common mineral and vitamin deficiencies and how important is selenium? Oh, hypothyroidism? Crazy important. So it's actually selenoenzymes that are responsible for the conversion of T4 to T3. Uh, so you, you really, 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 really need selenium in order to have active thyroid hormone. Um, iodine deficiency can cause hypothyroidism. Um, so just having, and actually super iodine excess can cause it too. So having crazy levels of iodine in either direction can cause massive problems with thyroid function. Iron is also really important for thyroid function. And so is zinc. So those are like the four minerals that are really, really important. And if you are deficient in any one of those, that can impact thyroid function. We're getting kind of close. Just a couple more. Oh, sweet. Uh... How much thyroid hormone replacement do you take? Just curious. Can I just say a lot? Super a lot. I, I don't talk about the specifics of yeah. what I take. Um, I take now, I started with natural desiccated. I now take uh, slow release, compounded slow release bioidentical with a one to two ratio of um, T3 to T4 as opposed to the normal one to four ratio. Um, I'm a terrible converter. Um, and I take a very high dose. I'm just going to, I'm going to leave it there. I think that's a good, that's a lot of, a lot of, a lot of details right there. Um, ultimately you worked for a long time with the medical professional and will come up with a solution that worked for you. Yeah. And we're still tinkering. Uh, I've been AIP for 10 months, have lost weight initially, but can't seem to lose weight the last six months. I'm about 20 pounds overweight. I don't eat a lot of AIP treats. I don't know what happens if I said Seymour. Yeah. It just says, I know I'll feel better. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, you sure? That's, I think that's my first question. I, I think most of the time when I'm talking with people who say they want to lose 20 pounds, they actually should not lose 20 pounds. So I have a, a blog post um, on my site. If you even just go to start here and find there's like a weight loss, um, like healthy weight loss tab right in the under start here now that will get you this information and bring you to more details. But I have a post now about uh, goal setting and... Um, looking at body composition goals. And so tr tracking body composition rather than absolute weight or rather than BMI is really, really important when you're setting weight loss goals. But also what we see from the medical literature is that especially for women, but for men too, is having a little bit more stored body fat is actually protective for us in the long run. 
So um, what is sort of generally recommended by medical professionals of, you know, this is how much you should weigh, it's, it's actually a little bit underweight what is the healthiest for all of us. So that's my first question is, um, you might actually be a perfect weight right now, which, I mean, sucks if you have a certain sense of what you want to look like in a bikini, if that's not where you're at. But um, if you're somebody who's been battling autoimmune disease, you've probably already come around to health is the most important thing. Um, so I would re- definitely recommend checking out that post, getting a scale that will do um, impedance so you have a sense of body composition. They're not as accurate as what a, a doctor will measure, but they'll give you a good sense. And tracking body composition instead of absolute weight or instead of BMI. Um, and then from that, um, you know, things that can be holding back weight loss if you really do have that weight to lose is inadequate sleep, stress, uh, hypothyroidism, uh, sex hormone imbalances, um, eating too much. Um, so if you're, uh, it's harder to do on the AIP. We see it more people are doing paleo, but just getting more into those hyper palatable foods, vitamin D deficiency. My, I'm just, I'm all, yep. I'm all Kung Fu fighting yeah, over here. Cole, Cole is mocking Sarah's yeah. hand motions. My mom didn't want to do hand motions, but Sarah's. I, did, I never <laughs> said at the beginning of this that I was going to avoid hand motions. Yeah, no, no, my mom, my mom. Was. I cannot speak without my hands. No, I, I mean, how could you, I possibly convey my thoughts to you if you didn't see I, my it's hands? Just, it's, it's, <laughs> this is where the words come out. The other, so the other thing that I want to say to Amy, and you kind of touched on it, but to me, AIP is not a weight loss diet. AIP is a healing, nutrient-dense, anti-inflammatory approach to healing. And um, weight loss is a a wonderful side effect, especially for those that need it um, for their health. But the idea of I've been doing AIP for 10 months and I have 20 more pounds to lose, I just want to make sure we're all on the same page that while weight loss is one of the benefits, it's not the goal of AI. Like you didn't, you didn't write the paleo approach as a weight loss book. Right. So I just want to put that out there. Um, and I'm glad that you said what you said, because even I've read in popular social, um, articles and whatever that they find that the people who live the longest have, an extra 10, 20 pounds on yeah. them because when they get the flu or when they fall on their hip, there's a little bit of padding or, you the, know, whatever. The best pace, place to be in terms of long-term health is right at the, the top of the normal weight range, bordering between the top of the normal weight range and uh, overweight. Um, that's sort of where, that's like the sweet spot. So just like, and and measuring that by, by body fat composition. What that means, what that translates to depends on your age. So for me, I think it translates to being sort of between 27 and 31% body fat is, is the translation of being in that sweet spot, which is I'm in that range. I'm, and I'm happy, I'm happy in that range. So, um, so that's why this post actually gives you like the mathematical formula to figure out what the range is for you. And then, um, you know, the, those body comp scales now are really inexpensive. Okay, I think we, that was the one I already read you. Um, oh, yeah. Um, disadvantages of cheating when eating paleo AIP. So can I just say that I don't like the word cheating? Like, you're making a choice. And AIP, it's different than It sounds like paleo. you're married to your food. Well, and it's like, does the food have 
an emotion? Like, does the food... It will have its feelings hurt. Right. So you're making a choice to eat a certain way for a reason. And whether you're doing it for yourself because you want to see how much better you'll feel or because you want to lose weight with paleo or because you're trying to heal with autoimmune, like your goals and your mission is entirely different. And so for me, I don't cheat on AIP intentionally, but I also have reintroduced some foods that I know don't bother me. And a couple of weeks ago, I ate nightshades knowingly because I was like, oh, I'm going to see what happens. Like I'm going to reintroduce. It's been a while. It didn't go well. Um, (laughs) but I didn't cheat on AIP. I was like, this curry that we got looks and smells amazing. And I don't have anything happening in the next week that would, you know, be impacted if my joints started hurting and my face blew up with acne, which are the things that happened to me immediately with nightshade. So I just, I, I really don't like the word cheat. And I would like us to think of a word that does not place emotional value on food when we're talking about making a choice to eat something off of a prescribed list like this this whole thing is about finding a template that works for you based on your goals and based on your body and so if you're going to go to the pizza buffet and fall face first into yes whatever it is like face palm right um then yeah that's not the like the health choice right that's is that an emotional choice is that whatever and like why are you making it if you want to make it like make the choice and move you know like move on don't have guilt and blah 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 so anyway that's my soapbox about that um yeah now this person's totally regretting i'm gonna i'm gonna (laughs) go beyond the language and answer yes the heart of the the question. question which is uh, it really depends. So it depends on what you're eating that is uh, off plan, and it depends on how much, and it depends on how often, and it depends on your individual sensitivity to those foods. It depends on your stress level, how much sleep you're getting, how nutrient-dense your diet is, what chronic health conditions you're challenged with. It depends on your genetics. So um, it can range from complete, you know, like destroying the gut lining that takes six months to heal. Anaphylactic reaction. Anaphylaxis type <laughs> reactions. It can range from something that's life threat, a life-threatening flare that puts you in the hospital to, it was fine, it did nothing. It just wasn't the most nutrient-dense choice that you could have made at that moment. Uh, and everything in between. So this is where we were talking about how it's so much easier to travel once you've been on this journey long enough to start playing with the boundaries of what your body tolerates. Um, you know, this uh, going off plan, I didn't use the C word. Um, cheat. Okay, just making sure. Um, it, these can be seen as opportunities to learn about your body. Um, I think one of the really important things here is if you are someone who battles with chronic illness, you're not going to learn as much as if you do reintroductions methodically. Doing methodical reintroductions is the best way to really isolate how your body is responding to something. Pizza is not methodical because that's never gluten, methodical. tomatoes, and dairy. It's my all friends. the things. <laughs> Bad oils. Yeah, yeah, it's all the things. All the things. Um, and so being methodical is really important, especially for someone who's battling with chronic illness. And it's also important not to let. Uh, these moments of indulgence derail efforts. So uh, it's okay to choose to cheat 
we all we cheat. I I did it. It's okay. To I literally bit my lip when you said to it. To choose I was like... to eat and it's to choose to indulge. Can we say choose to indulge? I yeah. It's it's okay to make a choice. Yeah. Period. It's just it's a choice. Like it's it's whether it's you know on a list of foods or not. I, but. You have to understand based on exactly all the things that Sarah's saying what the reaction to your body is and what your goals are and asking yourself why you're doing it. And I think one of the things that when someone says about cheating, the question that I have is like, well, what's your goal? Is your goal that you're, you know, filling an emotional void with a food that, um, you know, isn't good for you? Or, you know, do you have a family event where participating in your grandmother's dinner is brings you joy and fills you emotionally in a positive way and you would like to participate in that and therefore you're going to you know do that and then what are the best ways to recover from that i think those those are kind of more how i approach it or how i think about it and i i think you know the idea of cheating to me is just you're making the choice it's your body it's your food choices and you you need to decide like what the goals are and what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah. And so if something is going to derail you from your goals, make a different choice or understand that it's going to derail you and plan for recovery. Um, and I just sort of want to add, don't let making a suboptimal choice. Don't let that give you permission to, to snowball, to into, snowball yeah. into all the bad choices. Yeah, because if you fill yourself with guilt and it becomes this whole thing and then you're like, well, I did this, so I might as well do this. And then, and then you know, three weeks later, you're, you know, completely undid the progress that you've made, you know? So it's like you have to know yourself and your limitations. And, I mean, Sarah and I were just talking about this today. Like, we we know our trigger foods and, you know, what we can tolerate, what we can't tolerate, or things that aren't necessarily the best for us but don't derail us and maybe not surrounding ourselves with those foods very often. You know, different things like that. And it takes a long time to learn yourself and your bodies. And, this and was in the context of me saying that potato chips, if I have a handful, I feel fine, but they're like a binge food for me and I can't help myself and I eat the whole bag and that much salt makes my ankle swell and it's really bad. So we all have these kinds of challenges that we have to, like, this is as much an emotional and mental health journey as it, as, it, as it is a physical health journey. And I think it's really important for us to stay centered on that fact. Right. I'm going to answer a question. Um, wait, wait. you got to answer it into the microphone so that it's recorded. Cool. Cole's going to answer a question. It's not really a question. Okay. Somebody said you should do more video podcasts. That would mean... We would have to take a drive down to Georgia. <laughs> and I'm not going to do that. You don't want to come visit me like every other weekend? It's just, Cramped up it's with the car like, with those people 16 hours a weekend taking away my time. You know time. what? If you just came here, it would only be nine and a half hours. Well, I think he's saying eight hours here, eight hours back. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. 16 hours. Yeah. Yeah. Assuming your dad respects the speed limit. Uh, so you're saying, you're saying you're not interested as what the food I fed you wasn't good Listen, enough? I will so tell you, on? I, I will tell you that I did not want to do this video podcast. I made her. She really did. I set it all up and I said, here, sit yeah. down. Let's it's do like this. she, she broached the idea yesterday and I was like, I can't do it. And then today I was like, I'm so tired. I don't want to do it. And she's like, we're doing it. <laughs> so at least you got this one. We yeah. try. Every time we're together, we do try to do something. We do We do generally try. I mean, we see each other approximately once to twice per year. So, um, 
We do try, but it's it's not an easy thing to do. Like just a, I don't know how we how we would even do this. I know that some normally. people do, you know, Skype videos and they do them um, live and recorded or whatever. And I I just don't think that would work for us the way that we do it and we time it um, based on our lives and kids and me having a full time job, all that kind of stuff. Like we just we have to make this work the way that it works, and that's audio most That's of the time. That's too bad we don't live closer. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. Maybe we'll take one more. I think we're almost to the... I know, but people keep asking that more one, questions. That one, I feel like we've... We well, addressed... this was just a quick uh, taking taking thyroid hormone once in the morning and then once in midday. My um, functional medicine specialist did have me do this for a while before I moved to slow release. So there are some people who burn through thyroid hormone really quickly so that by midday, they're already, they've already used up everything they took in the morning. So for those people, it can really help even out energy. Um, so yes, there is some utility again, work with a functional medicine specialist or, a, you know, a really savvy endocrinologist and I can't say that word now, endocrinologist, uh, to be able to, to dial that in, but, um, going to slow releases or is a, another option sort of beyond that. All right. Look at all these people saying hello okay. and thank you. And, uh, Oh goodness! There's so many good questions in here. I'm just, how when many... I looked at it earlier, those like last six weren't there. Um, no. Oh, look at this person said. And it's Lori said one of the best things was my AAP lecture series. Yay! Yay! Thanks, Lori. Um, Lori was in my inaugural January class. Um, so, oh goodness! All right. So um, this is, I think this will be the last question because sure. it's from Lori. Who was in my inaugural awesome. class, right? Um, how do X-rays impact autoimmune disease? Uh, so one of the reasons why, when you get an X-ray, you wear the the lead on your neck, like if you're getting your your teeth X-rays or something, is because the thyroid is particularly sensitive to X-rays, um, as are ovaries. So that's one of the reasons why, like if you if you have a kid who's getting you know their leg X-rayed because they might have broken, they give parent they first ask if you might be expecting, and then you say, uh, no, and then you panic a little bit because you're not sure all of a sudden, even though, like, obviously the answer is no. This is what happens to every mother, right? And then they give you the apron, and then they give you the neck guard. The neck guard is to protect your thyroid. So certain organs are very sensitive to, to x-rays in terms of their function. Thyroid is one. Ovaries are another. Um, so, you know, getting, you know, but we don't, here, but we don't really see... Uh, issues with x-ray and autoimmune disease except in people who are getting a lot of occupational exposure. Mm -hmm. So getting an x-ray once in a while because something bad might happen to you and we need to find out, it's not going to generally aggravate disease. And Cole is making fun of my gesticulations again. (laughs) It's pretty awesome, actually. (laughs) So... Um, I think that's my best answer for that question. So I'll just state for the record that I fly and I go through the machine. Like, yeah, I I do too. Yeah. It's not a concern that I have based on the information that I know with the moderate exposure. Those machines don't use x-rays. Yeah. But they do some sort of. It's millimeter wavelength. Yeah. Yeah. It's different. There's wavelengths involved. They're light. (laughs) <laughs> it's non-ionizing radiation. The reason why x-rays can be problematic is because it is potentially ionizing radiation. What they use 
in uh, airports for TSA screening is non-ionizing radiation. It's as harmless as a microwave, and microwaves are harmless, by the way. We did do a show on that. Yeah. We feel pretty passionately about it. put a spoon in it. Years and years ago, we had this ebook that we were going to create of just paleo microwaves. It was going to be called Five Minute Five Minute Paleo. Yeah, and we and there was going to be a whole lot of science about why microwaves are fine. I wrote that science, you know. Did you? I totally did. I have. Did you do a blog post on it? I have like a four thousand word blog post on why microwaves are totally safe. Yeah, probably because she was prepping for the ebook, and I probably bailed. Oh, that's the end. It'll keep going. Maybe. Why would your internet have gone wonky? I don't know. I guess um, that's the universe saying that was enough podcast for us. Yeah, so let's just wrap up the podcast before it comes back and then we can tell those people goodbye. All right. Well, thank you for tuning in to the Paleo View. This has been part two of two. (laughs) Yeah. At some point, we broke this into part one. And and if you made it all the way through then thank you um and of course you can still go see the video on the paleo mom's facebook um, you guys can talk to them on my phone it's okay boom. uh if you'd like to see the video you can still see it on the paleo mom's facebook okay guys clearly it's time yeah out with the universe saying it's bedtime definitely um, but thanks for joining us and making this such a fun, like, we really do enjoy the opportunity to have these more sort of like a live show, interactive yes. shows, um, even though it doesn't fit into our regularly scheduled and you programming. Can see she really does know everything. I didn't know one question today. That's true. And it was like, what was the first one? It was like first the first one. one. <laughs> the first question you stumped me. So there you go. I had to make up for it after that. Yeah. Um, so thanks everyone for, for tuning in, asking such great questions. And, uh, if you don't already subscribe to the Paleo View, uh, go subscribe to the Paleo View on iTunes or Stitcher and, uh, make sure to give us a rating. It's a free iTunes, like, and you can also get it in the web. And we're rated G, so you can listen to us with the kids around and, uh, yeah, check us out. We've been doing it for five years, so if you haven't started yet you got a lot of catching yeah, up to do. Yeah, there's a lot of episodes. We're going to be busy. <laughs> and we do it by topic, too. So if there's a particular topic that we referenced and you'd like to go back and listen, you always can. So thanks again for tuning in. It was great to connect with you guys. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to The Paleo View. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes. You can also support us by shopping for our favorite paleo products on the sidebars of our individual websites or by donating through PayPal. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.